0: of Saturday football we have on tap for you. We got to talk about Ohio State dominating Indiana. We got to talk about Michigan dominating Nebraska. We got to talk about Texas and TCU, but first we got to get into this wild Oregon, Washington game. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up kid folk it's RJ Young I am not on a step mode. thank you for watching the number one college football show wherever it is you get your podcast Fox Sports app YouTube thanks for listening rate review all those nice things but hey look I'm getting way ahead of myself already because we just got done watching an epic Pac-12 showdown between two rivals that hate each other and the Washington Huskies and the Oregon Ducks and it finishes with number 25 Washington upsetting Number six, Oregon, 37-34. to The last seven minutes of this game were spectacular. Beginning with, man, we got to see the run game get started for Washington. Not something I thought we would say going into this game because the Pac-12 has really been about throwing the ball, specifically if you are Washington. It's one of the best passing offenses in all of football. But Oregon is not here to be crowned. Pac-12 champion just yet, but they are getting pushed by a Washington team that I thought, for instance, was going to get dunked on. As a matter of fact, having this great conversation with myself last week about should I rank Washington, knowing what happened the last time I ranked them, and then Bo Nix decided, yeah, RJ, maybe keep that one in the bag as he is absolutely throwing downfield, finding guys like Troy Franklin open, finding guys like Dante Thornton open, and this game felt like it was going to be one in which Oregon could control it, especially knowing what Bo Nix is able to do in the passing game and what Bucky Irving was able to do in the run game. Look, Oregon had a 23-game winning streak at Austin Stadium coming into this. And I talked to a couple of friends of mine that are Oregon and Washington fans, and they felt like this is going to go Oregon's way the whole way. And you can see why. Bucky Irving is breaking tackles. He's not eluding people. He's running over the Washington defense that just had all sorts of problems trying to corral him. 19 rushes for 141 yards. Goodness me. We get to see Michael Penix Jr. doing what he does. Absolutely stands in the face of Justin Flo getting annihilated and throws one deep for a TD. And now it's 27-24, Washington, when Oregon strikes back, takes the lead once again. Troy Franklin had himself a game, five catches, 139 yards, and a TD. But this was the throw of the day for me. Goodness. We saw Michael Penix Jr., left-handed quarterback, throw across the field from the far hash on a deep out route against the safety who split the field. And then we turn that into a TD that really puts Washington back in a position to make this a fight. But toward the end of the game, inexplicably, we have Oregon choosing to go for it on fourth and one with the backup quarterback in. Now, before this, Bo Nix had suffered an ankle injury on a third down play that probably would have iced the game had he picked it up on a QB draw. He's not able to do that. Ty Thompson has to come into the game. It didn't even feel like on that fourth and one that they were going to go for it. It felt like they were going to try to wind the clock down. As a matter of fact, they snapped the ball with eight seconds left and one minute, 34 seconds on their own 35-yard line. And we get Noah Wordington just absolutely, well, Whittington, excuse me, absolutely slipping down, falling down on that fourth and one turnover. You give Washington the ball within field goal range, and then Peyton Henry gets to go be a hero. 37-34 is the end of the game. Again, it's just – Dan Lanning's going to have to ask, answer that question, and I hope he's got a really good answer in store because the more you run that play back, you got Bo Nix on the sideline who is jumping up and down in Dan Lanning's ear yelling at him, please let me go back into the game. I'm the guy. This is my team. I'm the person who has brought you back from dead. A 46-point loss to Georgia and put the ducks on my back, and no, we go with Ty Thompson – and I felt maybe perhaps Ty Thompson didn't get the call. Maybe he didn't know that he was supposed to hard count. Maybe it's just as simple as Noah, Noah Whittington falling down at a time when I'm going, Lucky Irving, is your, is your bell count back? If you're going to go for it on fourth and one, give it to that dude, and they just come up just a little bit short. Feel terrible for Ty Thompson. Feel even worse for Noah Whittington, and I feel awful for that Oregon defense that felt like they played their behinds off, but frankly, just toward the end, you could see how the Washington Huskies were just pulling it out. This is from our buddy Jeff who does these spaces with me, also an Oregon Duck fan. This is a painful loss, way too many mistakes tonight. Brutal, man. Yes, because this slams the door on Oregon's college football playoff hopes. For a couple of weeks now, we had been debating, is this team good enough to secure the number four spot in the college football playoff, the dunker spot is what I've called it, and get a rematch, uh, quite honestly, against the Georgia team that embarrassed them in Atlanta, and it probably would have had that rematch in the Peach Bowl, would have been basically... Are you the same team? Have you actually got that batch better, or is your schedule just that much softer? Are you really in this to win it? And more than that, it hurts for the Pac-12, and it hurts for Oregon because they're probably out of the Pac-12 championship if things continue to go to the yard. Still got to get past a really tough Washington, or excuse me, Utah team, and a really tough Oregon State team. Quiet as it's kept. I kept watching this game, and I kept going, is is Michael Penix Jr. really going to pull this out? Is he really going to find a way? And that's exactly what he did, 26-35, 408 yards, two TDs, and a pick. That pick, though, felt like that was going to seal it for Oregon because you're at the one-yard line or close to it. You have basically one dude that's quadruple covered, and Michael Penix Jr. makes the ill-advised throw into a crowded area. It's tipped. The Ducks catch the ball on the one-yard line, and it's turnover. That felt like the end of the game to me, but it was not. Credit to them for fighting back. Credit that defense that gave up 408, or excuse me, 592 yards to Oregon. Oregon put up 592 yards and scored 34 points in a loss. Like that's remarkable. That's ridiculous. And again, if you're watching, Ben, don't break. That's all you're asked to do. Ben, don't break. Keep your fight in it. And for them to get this kind of play out of Michael Jr., Jalen McMillan also had a great day. I believe he had nine catches for 122 yards. Uh, also, I mean, there, what more can I say about the kind of game that Bo Nix put on display for us? Like, one of the things that I really enjoyed is how he'd been able to settle himself in Oregon. The thing to know about Bo Nix is that when he committed and was the starter at Auburn, he was seen as a prodigy, right? He had set Alabama passing records in high school, he was going to be the guy to bring Auburn back to, frankly, what it hadn't been since Cam Newton was their starting quarterback. And what he found out was, having three offensive coordinators in his time there, he wanted to make every play perfectly, and he got really hung up in trying to do that. At Oregon, he's able to resettle. Kitty Dillingham says, hey, man, you don't have to make every play. You just got to make the correct decision. We're going to slow the game way down for you. We're going to put these great pieces around you, and you're going to be our guy. Man got married over the summer. He settles into uh, marital life. Going to church every Sunday like he's supposed to. He doesn't swear. Like, he's doing the model thing at Eugene, and this is just a heartbreaking loss for an Oregon team that, frankly, I thought was dead after their week one loss. I know we got to play 15 weeks of college football, but I was really impressed by what the Ducks have shown us since week two. I mean, they've averaged 43-plus points per game, and that's after only scoring three against Georgia. It's going to be a really tough team toward the end. I want to see them finish this, get to 10 wins, and see what else they're uh, possibly made up for. Washington, goodness me, uh, I, I got to say, Kalen DeBoer has to be turning heads down there at Seattle because I had some really frank conversations with Washington fans going, you guys don't understand. this. He's really good. Like Fresno State was really good last year, and when he was the O.C. at Indiana with Michael Phoenix Jr., he was really good, and they're going, we're Washington. What are we going to do with a guy like Kalen DeBoer? Well, this, you're going to go knock off the best team in your conference and you're going to make a name for yourself. Going kind to of keep moving up these uh, top 25 rankings and see where you end up because there's no, no shade to it. But Washington could end up a top 10 team if some things break their way. And they still might because we've got a couple of really great weeks of college football left. Again, I'm just impressed. I really am. We saw two transfer quarterbacks who were pronounced dead at Indiana uh, uh, at Michael Penix Jr., felt broken. Uh, You heard Brock Hewitt on the call say his spirit was broken. He saw him call those games. And then you had a Bo Nix who was damaged goods, right? One of the worst 2019 five stars anybody's seen going into that same group of guys that just underperformed, but have found a second life. Jaden Daniels also in there. We'll talk about him in a little bit, but goodness, I was impressed. I was very excited to see these dudes going at it. And frankly, against the other game in primetime, Washington and Oregon delivered good time to talk about number four, Texas Christian controlling number 18, Texas, 17 to 10. This game was supposed to be a high scoring affair, and it simply was not. The defenses came to play in this one. Right now, you're just watching Kendra Miller, the best running back nobody knows about. Take it 75 yards to the house. He becomes the first 100 yard rusher against this Texas defense all year. And this is after they basically kept the lid on the dude for the better part of two and a half quarters but you had one linebacker miss his gap. Kendra Miller exploited that hole and took it all the way to the house. He came into this game as a 1,000-yard rusher. This coincidentally was one of the first matchups we see between 2,000-yard rushers, the other being B. John Robinson for Texas. And then here, what felt like the game was, uh, excuse me, the play to put the game away from me, which put CCU up 10-3, to was Max Duggan looking up and seeing six-foot-four Quentin Johnston, all by himself in the end zone. The Texas safeties just got... All sorts of turned around and somehow you end up with a top 10 draft pick, the number two wide receiver on most people's boards, including mine, going into the NFL draft wide open and alone on the 40 acres can't happen. And for Texas Christian, this is an outstanding win because they came into this as a seven point dog to a Texas team that, frankly, they've had the measure of over the past 10 years but they also had a lot of emotion on their sideline and a lot of emotion from their fans. The way I want to set this up is quite frankly, Gary Patterson has a statue of himself at Eamon G. Carter Stadium because that's what he meant to Texas Christian football. He had that statue while he was still head coach there. He stepped down and then took a job as a special assistant to head coach, Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, a place that he has mercilessly teased in the years past and a place that Texas Christian fans absolutely hate. As a matter of fact, 2015, he was asked before they were getting ready to play Texas, what is the challenge for your defense? To which Gary Patterson said, we've beaten better with less. And they did just that on October 3rd, 2015, stomping on Texas 50-7. to I thought going into this one, it wasn't going to be that lopsided, but certainly TCU has felt everybody, including myself, just say, I don't trust you as an undefeated team. And they said, cool, that's fine. We secured our spot in the Big 12 Championship with this win, clinched the position, and we moved to 10-0. and 0. Fight us, because everybody else who's tried to has lost. That's five ranked wins for the Texas Christian Horn Frogs in Sonny Dykes' first year. And this is the part where I make Oklahoma fans even madder than they already are when I say it is not out of the question to think you're going to see Garrett Riley on one sideline, USC head coach Lincoln Riley on the other, and you're going to have to deal with it. Also, shout out to Joe Gillespie, who is Texas like to read about. A high school coach from Stephenville who showed up with a defense that he brought from Tulsa running three three five, and giving Steve Sarkeesian fits. All right? I'm impressed by the Texas Christian Horn Frogs. I want them to keep this energy going, especially knowing we got Max Duggan on one side of this. We got, quite frankly, the number one recruit in the 2022 class in Quinn Ewers on the other. Max Duggan wasn't even a starter to start this season, and he has become the guy, once again, for TCU. He finished the game, what I thought was, you know, underwhelming performance and really was riding the run game as much as he could and the defense. But Quinn Ewers really been underwhelming basically since Alabama. He's had one 300-yard passing game since he returned from injury. In this game, he was 17 of 39 for 171 yards with an interception and no TDs. He's overthrowing receivers. He looked like he was not seeing the clear picture. Joe Gillespie and that defense doing a great job of just confusing that dude. Every time they drop people back into coverage, he looked lost. Jatavian Sanders couldn't do much. Xavier Worthy couldn't do much. Jordan Whittington couldn't do do much. All of these starters and stars for Texas getting stymied by the Christian University in Fort Worth, Texas. Gotta love it. Time of possession on this one. TCU just held the ball. 37 minutes, 22 seconds to Texas. 22 minutes, 38 seconds. This is also an extremely important win for TCU. Win your clunkers. That's that's the rule. Win the games that everybody says I don't know if you're any good, and you get to say yes. But that's a, that's a W and not an L. We've seen it. Ohio State did it last week with Northwestern. This week, Texas Christian did it against a ranked Texas team that a couple weeks ago, even Joel Klatt is making the argument. Tell me that if you win this game, that that's not a top fifteen team against Alabama. Tell me that that team's not that good. It's a good football team that TCU beat. In a game that, frankly, does not break for them. They are scoring 43 points a game. Matter of fact, they ranked third, Oregon ranked fourth in scoring points per game. Both of them underperformed on that front, but came out with what I thought was in TCU's uh, instance, a defense that said, no, 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 we're here to play in a way in which, frankly, they hadn't been tested all year. I'm excited to see what they can do the rest of the way. They've got a couple of really interesting games left, one against Baylor, a game they could lose, one against Iowa State, a game they could lose because the Big 12 is just that tough this year. But they control their own destiny to get into the college football playoff. All they got to do is win the next three games they play, and they're in. It's a good way to move into number two, Ohio State crushing Indiana 56-14. to Did they start fast, the Buckeyes? Guys? Yes, they did. They led 21-0 with 253 left in the first, so that's a check. Did they run the football well? Yes, they did. Quickly, Mayan Williams had 15 rushes for 147 yards in the first half. Ohio State had 190 by itself in the first half, right? We're getting to see what this team is capable of with guys like Dallin Hayden, true freshman coming off the bench, to go and score touchdowns for them. And then I got to see C.J. Stroud go be C.J. Stroud again, and that was really great to see. You had 297 pass yards for him, and seven of those catches, those completions, were to one dude named Marvin Harrison Jr., who was outstanding. Here's Mayan Williams running straight in, like that's a runaway Peterbilt getting into the end zone right there, guys. Like this is the also the dude that my man Tyler Wojak really, really loves. Like he's going, that's a running back. That's what a running back's supposed to look like. Meanwhile. The passing attack has got Xavier Johnson going to work. It's got caged Stover making men miss and diving toward the end zone, making OC and tight end coach Kevin Wilson feel good during this game. And again, I can't say enough about having guys like Xavier Johnson as a fifth-year senior be able to do things like take a rush play 71 yards to the house. Ohio State defense also came to play. They had five sacks in three quarters. They allowed seven points in three quarters, and then they got the starters pulled. They gave up another touchdown. but Again, a dominating performance for the Buckeyes. And really, this play right here, Cameron Babb at the back of the end zone, wearing the O block, his entire team coming around him as he come to his knees, falls to the ground, and he could feel all of us celebrating with him. This is a man who had torn four ACLs in his time at Ohio State, had been thwarted over and over again by injury, and he got his first career touchdown in this win against Indiana on a team that was so excited to see that man in the end zone. And Ryan Day said this in his post-game press conference, and I think it's worth repeating. This is what college football is about. It's about moments like that. One of the reasons that I think Ryan Day even said, I love coaching, because like guys like Cam Babb exist, and my guys understand it. When that guy scores, what to many people is just a garbage touchdown, but to the Ohio State faithful and to that football team Meant the world. And I'm so impressed by the team chemistry on display there. Everybody pulling in the right direction. My question is, how good and how much fun would Ohio State be if they were completely healthy, all right? So that's a way of getting into what does the running back depth chart look like? Because, look, I tweeted it earlier today. Ohio State has played multiple games without two of the nation's best Skill players in Jackson Smith and Jigba and Travion Henderson, okay? The Buckeyes are still one of the best teams in the country. Imagine how healthy, how much fun a healthy Buckeye team would be. That means you got Jackson Smith and Jigba, a guy many of us thought would be the best wide receiver in the country before the hamstring injury, back. What if you get Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson back? What if you had Evan Pryor back to this tweet that we saw? Because I didn't know if Mayan Williams was going to be okay. The way he went down, he had to be taken off on a cart. But he had a cryptic tweet saying, "We good? Go Bucks." I, I I hope that means he's healthy, because if he's healthy, then we feel better about not just Maryland, but the game to come, November twenty sixth. We've been talking about it all season long. Anybody that has a microphone talking about college football has been way up on this. It could be the first time since two thousand six that Ohio State and Michigan are each eleven and o going into the game, game of the century part. Go, if you are an Ohio State fan or a Michigan fan, it's going to be a lot of fun. I also just want to throw this out here to talk about the position coaches and what they've been able to do specifically on the offensive side of the ball for Ohio State. You lose Jackson Smith and Jigba. Okay, we'll still have a Marvin Harrison Jr., a Julian Fleming, and a Mecca Ebuka, who I think is the most versatile player in the country. He probably should win the Paul Horning Award, and we can go deeper than that if we need to. We'll lose Travion Henderson for multiple games. We'll lose Mayan Williams for multiple games in the second half against Indiana altogether. That's okay. We got Dallin Hayden. We will move Chip Traynham from linebacker to running back, lose him to injury because we lost T.C. Caffey also to injury, and we're still going to be able to run the ball effectively against a stout Indiana defense. Again, it's about being healthy. Tony Alford gets a healthy running back room. Look out. You already know what Brian Hartline is capable of with those uh, with those players at wide receiver, and then Jim Knowles on that in that defense, outstanding stuff. Jack Sawyer brought an anvil to a football game; they had five, those five sacks. He's very excited to see Teron Vincent coming into his own as well, and those three safeties back there: Ronnie Hickman, Tanner McAllister, Latham Ransom. You don't know who's dropping, you don't know who's coming. It's been a lot of fun to watch them play. I can't wait for Ohio State-Michigan. That's going to be so much fun. Michigan kept up their end with a 34-3 to stomping of Nebraska. That's going to be the game of, well, the season? Maybe. We'll see. It's got some steep competition when it comes to Alabama and Tennessee or even Georgia and Tennessee, although that was much more of a dud than Alabama and Tennessee. Then, in the SEC, as I was just alluding to, number nine, Alabama holds off number 11, Ole Miss 30-24. to Alabama's defense really did step up big down the stretch. Felt like they needed to try to put a lid on just Quinshot Jutkins because Quinshot Jutkins was having himself quite the day today. Even as Brian Bryce Young was on the sideline berating his offense and some of the mental errors that they'd been able to make, forcing them, challenge him. Nick Saban challenging them in the first half. Are you guys going to show some fight or are we going to lose back-to-backs? That's what's going to happen here. Are we really going to go down to Ole Miss a team we haven't lost to in six years, to which Bryce Young said, No, no, we're not. I'm going to find Cam Latou on third and eight after we'd already been backed up for a crucial TD to tie the game up at 17s. Jackson Dart finds an answer back, and we get what is it, Jonathan Mingo into the end zone back there, man. Just the way in which this game was back and forth toward the end. I was having so much fun watching Bryce Young move around like he is rolling to his right. Goodness, finding what is that? Is that Corey Brooks in the back of the end zone? Yikes, man. Like, they got dudes when they got dudes. And again, Pete Golding looked at Henry to O to O, looked at Will Anderson, looked at Jordan battle and challenged them to make a play. And they made a play on fourth down with 46 seconds left to play to seal this victory in a game where man, it was back and forth the whole way shouts to Quinshawn Juckins, who I think is going to end up being SEC freshman of the year. And frankly is the best kept secret in the SEC until this season Outstanding game from him Uh, since 2014, Alabama has been in six of the past eight, uh, eight, excuse me, six of the past eight SEC championship games that comes to an end because Alabama won. Like, this is also just kind of interesting as we lead into the story that is LSU. But real quickly, all the way out, Jameer Gibbs didn't play in the second half of this game. Nick Saban said, hey, uh, we had a twisted ankle for Jameer. Didn't feel healthy about him going. Jason McClellan had 19 carries for 80 plus yards. And you saw a lot of Roy Dell Williams. He also said Eli Ricks had a head injury. That is an outstanding cornerback for them. They didn't, I don't say they missed Jameer Gibbs. It was just honestly kind of odd not to see him and his presence, but you're reminded of what he, what he allows for Bryce young to do, which is have another guy with capable set of hands to throw the football to. And I felt like he needed that more so today than he has in, in weeks past. So they're hopeful to get Jameer Gibbs back healthy pretty soon, but, Again, with their win, they allowed for LSU to hold the SEC West Championship if they kept up their end today, and they did. Number seven, LSU escapes Arkansas 13-10. to The question is, what does this close win over Arkansas say about LSU? To which I say it doesn't say a whole hell of a lot about LSU at all, except, you know, like they wanted to lose this game. And what had happened was Harold Perkins just decided, not today. I said, no, Satan. I said, no. No, sir, not today. The best defensive performance that we have seen all week and perhaps the second best defensive performance I've seen all year because of one reason in particular, all right? So I want to just run through this right quick. Harold Perkins had eight tackles, six solo, four sacks, four tackles for loss, two forced fumbles. All he needed was a TD, and then I'm talking about him and JT Tui Molau putting together two of the best performances by defenders past three years, but frankly, if not for JT Tui-Molo out, we would be talking about Harold Perkins putting together the best defensive seed, or excuse me, defensive game of the year so far this year. That's a true freshman, by the way, folks. That's ridiculous. Like, that dude was running around like his name was Patrick Willis. He's running down Malik Hornsby. Malik Hornsby was the quarterback at Arkansas. He got pulled a little bit late, but the reason I'm saying he ran down Malik Hornsby, because Malik Hornsby has 4-4 four, four speed legitimate 4-4 speed, and Harold Perkins closed the gap on that dude and drug him to the ground. I want to see Harold Perkins coming off the edge against the Georgia offense, and we're going to get to see it. That's going to be so much fun because LSU has won the SEC West Division in Brian Kelly's first season at LSU. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again because I'm right. LSU is the best job in the entire country, okay? Okay. LSU was decimated last year, five and seven. Brian Kelly is putting on a fake and terrible Cajun accent in the booth as Kansas State is stomping a mud hole in LSU and walking it dry. You go get Jaden Daniels out of the portal, for which many people are like, it's a decent quarterback, but is he even good enough to beat out Miles Brennan? Is he even good enough to beat out Garrett Nussmeyer? Yeah, yeah, he is. You got Noah Kane absolutely tearing people's heads off, knowing he's going to get the ball run. By the way, he transfers in for Penn State. And you got guys like Harold Perkins. All you got to do is keep the, the doggone sports car on the road. Keep the car on the, between the white lines. Don't hit track limits. That's all I'm saying. It ain't no big deal at LSU. You got bodies. You got dudes. Look, I'm going to say it. If I got into head coaching and they said, hey, RJ, Which team do you think you go win a national championship tomorrow with? I'm going to choose LSU, okay? Les Miles, Ed Orgeron, Nick Saban, they all got national championships at LSU. And guess what? Two of those dudes ain't in the same sentence as Nick Saban, okay? Okay? Now we got Brian Kelly, who is staring down, beating not just Nick Saban, but Kirby Smart possibly in the same year. Tell me the number of people to be able to say that. That's all I'm saying, right? He's going to get that opportunity, and that's going to be a lot of fun for us to watch. Vegas said, hey, we knew the LSU was good. We tried to tell y'all because of the three and a three-and-a-half-point spread. They win by three points. Congratulations to all the degenerates out there that made some money on this game. Quickly, on the way out here, Purdue upset number 21, Illinois, 31-24. to Chase Brown had to leave the game, but for what this means for us is, don't nobody know who's going to win the Big Ten West. You got like four, four, and three teams up there, man. You got Minnesota, you got Purdue, you got Illinois. Goodness me. Whiskey over here just kind of doing stuff. You know, Braylon Allen's got to tweet out and tell people, I'm going to be on Wisconsin as long as Jim Leonard's here, which is a great reason to keep Jim Leonard as the head coach next year. I'm just telling you. Number three Michigan blowing out Nebraska, 34-3 I mentioned. But Blake Corum continues to be Blake the Great. 28 carries, 162 yards and a TD. Can't wait to see that dude against that Ohio State defense, but they just got to get past Illinois next week. He's going to have something to prove. We'll see what they come back with. We'll see whether or not Chase Brown is good to go in that game. Where's Virginia? Take me home. Good God. Beats Oklahoma 23 to 20. All right. Produce Tyler, uh, give give me a second here. Give me a second. My Oklahoma Sooners ain't never, not never in your life, lost a doggone football game to the West Virginia Mountaineers in Morgantown until today. Now, on top of getting beat by a team that has lost more games than it has won, on top of having a 200-yard rusher in a loss, I got to listen to West Virginia fans not only not be thrilled about beating Oklahoma at home for the first time, but saying, you know, We were kind of like in and out on our head coach. And that's kind of how we still feel because y'all ain't no good. And they got a point. Oklahoma has lost five conference games for the first time since the last time Tennessee won the national championship. I was 11 years old the last time the Oklahoma Sooners lost five conference games. John Blake was the head coach. Rex Ryan's brother was on the sideline as defensive coordinator. Folks, folks, I am not okay. I am, I am, I am, I am, I, I am, I, 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 I am not okay. Because now, not only do I got to watch Josh Heupel stop a mud hole in Missouri, 66 to 24, some such nonsense, putting up 724 yards, I got to tell Tennessee fans that the Omens are there. The last man to lead Oklahoma to a national championship is the head coach at Tennessee. At a time when they are the best one-loss team in the country. At a time when they are still very much in the college football playoff. And at a time when we can look and say, when's the last time Oklahoma was really bad? Oh, yeah, that was the year that, you know, Team Martin and them won the national championship. Rocky Top. You're welcome. Just I I I've, I've, I've given it out to you. I don't know how you're going to get into college football playoff, but it feels inevitable now. And, and for Oklahoma, goodness me, I said I said this way. This leads me into the next the next point, producer Tyler. I appreciate you giving me a little space here. UConn beat Liberty, the number 19 Demon AP poll. They beat them 36 to 33. Not only do I got to talk about Jim Mora making the UConn Huskies. Fun football, earn a $25,000 bo- bonus, by the way, for getting the six wins. But I got to talk about the Yukon Huskies being bowl eligible before the Oklahoma Sooners. And the way that I have phrased that is with the hope that the Oklahoma Sooners are still going to get the bowl eligibility. But if you look at the schedule, that ain't no guarantee. It's rough in these streets for you, man. It's rough. It's rough. It's a good reason for me to go see Wakanda uh, uh, forever for a third time. That's that's where we're we going to need some happy space right now. But not as happy as the UConn Huskies who got to be living their best life knowing they're going bowling. And then Vanderbilt getting off the schneid against the SEC. Holy smokes. Vanderbilt knocks off number 24, Kentucky, 24 to 21, snapping a 26-game losing streak inside of the SEC. Their last win prior to knocking off a ranked Kentucky was against missouri in 2019 folks we've had a literal plague since then shout out to clark lee vanderbilt commodores i'm sure that that is the best team that your money could buy and that's enough to be said about what's going on in nashville all right that is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show my thanks as always to our lead producer tyler wojack our senior producer is katherine donnelly our director is kyle holly our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Reg Cone. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all on Monday. Talking through top 25 college football playoff scenarios and a diamond in the rough. Deuces.